0: This world is getting so incredibly dark that I think good news almost doesn't cut it anymore. We need good, almost supernaturally good news in order to break through what seems like an impossible situation of evil everywhere, overwhelming evil, and we're feeling suffocated. Well, uh, my guest today is Dr. Michelle Critella. Great pediatrician doctor who really, I mean, top of her class, just incredible. Well, she's got an incredible story. How did she come to be a physician who practices her Catholic faith so well, is unafraid to speak on all the hardest of issues, contraception, abortion, even transgenderism and the LGBT? Well, she got through through one miracle after another, after another. You're going to want to stay tuned for this one. Dr. Michelle Cretella, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, John Henry. It's good to be here.
0: Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. I have been so looking forward to uh, being able to speak with you here. Uh, Your story is so encouraging. And at this time, we need encouragement like nothing else. So, um, if you wouldn't mind beginning with just a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, what do you do, uh, and then we'll get into your story.
1: Sure. Um, Well, born and raised in uh, Rhode Island in the United States, and uh, um, born into a Catholic family, and my faith um, was really, um, gifted to me by my, my mother who, um, survived polio as a child. Um, so as a little girl myself, um, my mother's story really stood out to me, um, in that At age seven, she spent her entire, um, I guess, between the ages of six and seven, spent her entire first grade year in the hospital recovering from polio. And when she went back home, the doctors uh, told uh, her mother that my mother would never um, be able to use her left arm. It just hung limp at her side. And uh, my, my grandmother, my grandmother and grandfather were very devout. Uh, Canadian, French, Roman Catholic, and um, did a novena to the Holy Spirit. And my grandmother had a medal to the Holy Spirit blessed by the parish priest. And uh, at the end of the novena, um, called my mother over to her. And my mom tells the story. She remembers being age seven, uh, sitting in her favorite rocking chair, My grandmother called her over to the kitchen. My mother remembers walking over. My grandmother pinned the blessed medal to the Holy Spirit on my mother's um, shirt sleeve. My mom remembers feeling extremely warm and a rush and then being back in the rocking chair. Does not remember walking back to the rocking chair. She remembers that warmth, that rush back in the rocking chair and looking up seeing my grandmother now in front of her with tears streaming down her face and my mother you know said why are you crying and my grandmother just pointed to her arm my mother had sat in the chair and crossed her arms it's the first time she had moved that left arm since being admitted to the hospital with the polio um so for myself as a little girl hearing that story, there was never any doubt in my mind that God is real. Miracles happen. Prayers are heard. And we don't always get the answer we necessarily want, but God is real. That's something that was instilled in me very, very young. Um, And my mother, you know, growing up with, with my mother, I never saw her as sure. She had a weakness in that left arm, but she did everything that any other mom could do, or or did, you know, cooking and cleaning and being the uh, involved with the parent, uh, school mom and and teaching CCD and part throwing parties, all that. So um, that was definitely a uh, big influence in my faith life. Um, in terms of what I do now, I I became a general pediatrician, and um, I practiced in, in uh, rural and and suburban um, group practices for about 17 years in Rhode Island and Connecticut. And um, ultimately about eight years ago, 20, well, nine years now, like 2012, um, I'm also a married mom of four. And so back in 2012, decided that I wanted to devote more time to my family. I left clinical practice and became um, director of the American College of Pediatricians, which is a a pro-life, natural law, uh, scientific organization of pediatricians, Um, the only natural law pediatric organization in uh, in the world, actually. Um, But that allowed me to use my medical knowledge um, and be more present to my my kids. So it was, that was a great gift. Um, In that role, I'm often uh, accused by detractors of, oh, she's Catholic and she's not about science. She's just out to, um, you know, enforce uh, whatever the Pope says on issues of of, uh, sexuality, abortion and contraception. And really, Nothing could be further from the truth. It's um it, it, as I look back at my life, although my faith was always, it was instilled in me very young, and I and I grew up with a daily prayer life from the from the beginning and a and a devotion to the rosary from the sixth grade forward. I always went to public school and my father is an electrical engineer, my mother. Um, by training, she was a in a worked in the microbiology lab. <clears throat> there was always this sense of um, there's faith and there's science, and they have their own realms. Um, and they generally, uh, you know, they're in parallel. They they don't necessarily contradict one another, except. And this was my mother's uh, this was my mother's teaching. She said, "You know, I think the church is wrong on contraception because uh, wives should not be afraid to be with their husbands. Um, you know, contraception, you're preventing the creation of a new life you're not killing as an abortion. Um, and the other uh, the other issue uh, <clears throat> in in which I intuitively, thought the church teaching made sense the church teaching on homosexuality that same sex attractions uh, same sex erotic attractions are intrinsically disordered you know it's my and and the first i learned of that was from my pastor i was probably 12 years old and he he had given a homily and and uh explained it saying you know well homosexuality those are intrinsically disordered attractions you know because Men and women are made for one another and children are the crowning uh, gift of, of, of marriage. And so to my 12-year-old brain sitting in the pew, I, I said to myself, well, that makes sense. I mean, yeah, if this is biology 101. Uh, sexual attractions should serve reproduction. So that made sense to me. But when I got into medical school, I was t- I was taught by our professors that, oh, um no no it's genetic and it's genes and hormones that cause a person to be um to have same sex homosexual attractions it's it's not a choice now in medical school they don't really teach you number one they did not put forth the actual studies by the way they just told us the conclusion if they had actually showed us the studies twin studies um, and actually, been transparent, they would have said, "What you see here is that genes and environment contribute together, and actually, environment plays a bigger role." But that's not what was said. So it was pretty, you're in med school, you're getting, uh, you're being taught. It's the the image that they that um, expresses med school best is. You tell your teachers, hey, I'm thirsty, and they take out a fire hose and blast you with it. And you don't necessarily analyze data um, very deeply. You're just taking the basic conclusions and, and things are glossed over. But the bottom line is in med school, I came to believe, oh, you're born this way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it's, um, a, it's an interesting you know, progression
0: because you you maintained your faith all the way through but it, you had these distortions in it um, it's a, it's an incredible thing because you here you are in the medical field but also with a mum who experienced a, a miraculous healing herself but still had this sort of disagreement with the church officially with regard to the issue of contraception which we know is so fundamental um how how did uh, right. how did you get to where you are now um you know very well known for sticking with all the church's teachings and you're and you're one who who is accused of yeah just doing what the church wants not being in part of science at all
1: right right um yeah well it, it's um god is patient way more <laughs> god is patient and and uh, he he uh, he had something in store for me um i'm just laughing because when when i met my husband i met my husband in medical school and <clears throat> we got in um became engaged my husband said you know he came from a family of just three boys and I, I grew up just myself and a younger brother and my husband said i i think i i would love to have four kids now i <laughs> and, and he said this, we were engaged. I was only a a second-year med student. I looked at him. I said, what? Are you crazy? Do you think I'm in med school to get an MRS degree? You think I'm, I'm gonna, I'm doing this so that I can marry you and be barefoot that and pregnant for the rest of my life? I said, no way. We are doing it the way my mom did, the right way. We're gonna have one boy and one girl and we're were gonna be done so I mean just to, like I I really had you know drunk the kool-aid on the um, that aspect of the um sexual revolution um, however <clears throat> so we had our our we did get married and I um went through finished med school and first got married and went through my pediatric residency and um Planned because in residency where I was, we routinely worked 100 hours a week. Um, I, I planned it so that I could do electives. I could stack my electives the last three months of my final year of residency, and and that's when we conceived our our first son. So um, since they were electives, I only had to work 60 hours a week. <laughs> but um, nevertheless. Um, by age 32, we now had uh, two sons, a three year old and a six month old. And we had moved back um, uh, to Rhode Island. We were back equidistant between both sets of grandparents. And um, although I was sad that I didn't have a girl, I was still very much committed to oh, no, this is it, two kids, that's it, because. I'm a pediatrician and I'm going to be in the world and making a difference, be God's pro-life warrior because I was very much, um, I went into medicine because I was uh, dedicated to doing all I could to save babies from abortion and to keep women healthy, to, to help women have alternatives to abortion. And I thought that's it. That's what God wants me to do. And that's it. Well, When I was 32 years old, three-year-old and a six-month-old, February 2001, three nights in a row, I woke up at 2 a.m. The first couple nights that I woke up at 2 a.m., our oldest son, our three-year-old, he had night terrors. And I went, sat with him until the night terror was over. Then realized, whoa, do I have a headache? But convinced myself the first two nights that the headache must have been because of his night terror. Third night, spot on, 2 a.m., I I woke again. This time, no night terror, dead silence in the house. And I felt like my head was going to explode. Um, I thought my eyes were going to pop out of the sockets. It was in med school, we call that a a plastic thunderclap headache, complete silence in the house. Clearly it was the pain that had awakened me. And I knew in my gut, oh my gosh, I've, I've got a brain tumor. It didn't absolutely have to be a brain tumor. It could have been something else bad, like an aneurysm or abscess, brain abscess. Um, Of course, my, my husband Who's also a a physician um, wouldn't believe that anything terrible could be happening to his wife. And said, "No, it's it's a migraine." (laughs) Of course, I didn't really have a history of migraines, and migraines don't typically present in the middle of the night. With nevertheless, that's it's common. With one of the reasons physicians try not to treat family, you know, you you either overreact or underreact. In any case. Uh, that was two a.m. By the time it got to be six a.m., I um, was vomiting nonstop, and on the just laying on the on the cold bathroom floor was all I could do to not be throwing up and feeling okay. And my husband clearly knew he still didn't want to believe it was bad, but he said, "Wow, yeah, I really do have to get you to the emergency room and calm this down." Um, and uh, so he, he did get me to the, to the ER where, um, they were able to give me some, some pain meds and, and then nausea meds and get me into the CAT scan. And, and, um, all this time I was very, um, anxious, fearful, convinced that it was a brain tumor and, um, waiting in the, uh, in the emergency well, waiting in the the ER after having the CAT scans. Um, My husband in the meantime was um, he had our two sons with him in a stroller pushing it by the um, radiology department. Again, he was a physician at the hospital. So he pushed back and later recounted to me that, um, He stopped in the doorway of the radiology department and saw uh, some CAT scans up um, the lights and from the doorway could see the brain tumor, right frontal brain tumor, probably about the size, yeah, about the size of maybe a walnut. But the brain had already shifted instead of being centered, it had already shifted to the left and and my husband thought to himself, "Whoa, don't want to be that person." And then the radiologist turned around with tears coming down his face, because of course it was my scan. So, um, so I'm still back in the in the room waiting for results, and the ER doc came in with my husband, and of course my husband has a little tear. The ER doc also had like tears in because both of us worked at this hospital. So they they knew. Um, at the moment they walked in, uh, all of my fear immediately went away. And I had this heavy warmth just descend upon me from my head throughout my entire body down to my toes. And I knew I was going to live. But that's like, it it was this certainty, unlike, you know, this peace and fortitude, unlike anything the world can give. I just knew it. The ER doc said there is a lesion. It's in the, you know, right frontal uh, lobe. There is a lesion. We are going to give you Decadron now. Uh, because that will decrease the swelling. You know, your brain has shifted. That's why you're in so much pain, but we can decrease the swelling on the brain by giving you the Decadron. And we, you know, we've already put a call in to the neurosurgeon at Rhode Island Hospital, the neurosurgery team. And, um, And my husband said to me, you're taking this really well. And I said, I said, I think it's because I knew, I mean, I I knew it was a tumor. And I, I'm, I don't know why I know, but I'm not, I'm not gonna die. And um then I I I uh, then the ER doc left and I and I said to my husband, I said, so what kind do they think, do they have an idea what kind it is? And he said, um, yeah. Glioblastoma multiforme. So glioblastoma multiforme is the most common and deadly brain tumor um, found in adults. Um, and I, again, being a pediatrician, <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I listened to what he said and I thought back to med school brain tumors and I said, that's, that's not good. He said, no. Um, so the, you know, that my husband had called his parents and my parents, they, so they, they came in and, and, um, uh, everyone was crying, but I wasn't, I, I wasn't crying. I, I, I knew it was this, yep. I'm a doctor. I know this is really bad, but I can't shake this certitude that it's going to be okay. Um and the the wonderful with the miracle of of medicine they were actually um able to um manage me my my symptoms they could by decreasing the swelling that relieved the pain and the nausea. I was actually able to go home. I didn't have to go into the hospital. Yeah, you know, I I could actually go home and um, my appointment with the neurosurgeon uh, and the neuro-oncologist were set up for the next day. Um, and, uh, you know, so the, the other, the, probably the most important thing my my husband did in addition to all the, you know, getting the medical appointment set up. Um, the, one of the first calls he made was to our, um, Uh, our, our church prayer group. And um, the woman who was in charge of it at the time had a son who was a member of the Franciscan friars of the renewal. And of course they had friars all around the world. So within a very short time, I later found out I had thousands of people praying for me all around the world. Um, uh, When I, when we followed up uh, the next day with the neurosurgeon, he He confirmed, uh, basically affirmed what the the ER doc's impression was that, yeah, your whole presentation, it was just so rapid and so uh, the the location of the tumor, um, the degree of the swelling, it really appears to have metastasized. There's, you know, suggestion of bleeding. This is all consistent with the glioblastoma multiforme. Um, My parents were in the room. So the neurosurgeon, well, I think my, mom my vestibule really like um what are the chances it could be something else and so um you know the neurosurgeon said well maybe seven (laughs) percent um maybe it's a seven percent chance that it's not a brain not this and I don't know maybe it's uh a brain abscess (laughs) not that I had any reason to have a brain abscess like you know and anyway, um, uh, we set up the surgery. The surgery was going to be eight days from diagnosis. So I was diagnosed on a Thursday. The surgery was set up for the following week on a, on a Friday. And um, what was truly um, remarkable at, at, at that time, it happened to be during Lent. And, um, so I, I, was able to, uh, I was able to be, uh, obviously anointed by, by our, our, uh, by our pastor. And, um, it was funny because when we went, when we went in to see him, it was, we have an adoration chapel, a 24 hour adoration chapel. I wanted to go there to pray with my husband. And I think it was a Saturday morning and, and often our pastor is out on a Saturday morning I said, well, you know what? Before we go in the chapel, let's just ring the doorbell, just in case Father's there. Well, he was there. And not only was he, you know, Mark tells him the story in the doorway and come in, I want to anoint you. And you know, we don't normally have our, our um intercessory prayer group uh here on Saturday mornings, but they are they're in the next room. I want them to pray over you right now, and um you know, and, and then we were also going to have our, our parish mission was starting that Monday night, and I had i had had no intention of going. Of course now, hey, I didn't have anything else to do. (laughs) So I went to that parish mission on uh, Monday night and um, I don't remember what it was about. What I remember is the close of that Monday night when uh, Father Larry Richards, who gave the mission said, by the way, we are going to have... um, the healing mass with confessions on Wednesday let me remind you of the mortal sins that need to be confessed to a priest and he went through them alphabetically and you know of course abortion was the first one but the second one he said blew me away he said abortion artificial contraception I didn't hear I, I, I didn't hear anything else he said after that he got to artificial contraception And God hit me smack between the eyes. I was just, I was, yes, I'm in the church. I know that Father Larry Richards, is still talking, going down the alphabet. But in front of my eyes, I saw every, it was like a ticker tape of every uh, argument in favor of contraception that I had ever uh, believed. Uh, but that I, I had ever heard, read, taught, believed, and it was just going right by my, right by my eyes, one after the other. And I knew they were lies. I knew they were wrong in my heart. And I did not understand, but I believed. And that is the first time in my life I believed before understanding. Now with, with the issue of abortion, I was taught about fetal development in in middle school and and I and I had heard um witness stories from women who were harmed by abortion. So I understood the evil first and and then I looked to the church and said, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. You don't kill innocent human life and think this is going to be good for women too." But now I was confronted with this almost like illumination of Oh my gosh! This is a mortal sin. I don't understand, God. I I believe you, God. All mentally, I said to him, "I believe you." This this is a mortal sin. I, I've been prescribing. I've I've been doing this. I've been promoting it. I'll never do this again. Never, never, never. You have my word. But please, Lord, don't. Ex- I don't understand, and I don't want to understand. Don't explain it to me, because if you explain it to me, I'm going to have to talk about it and. I'm a doctor. I can't look like an idiot. (laughs) And um, I can't, I mean, I'm going to look crazy. I can't be an MD and be against contraception. That just makes no sense. And yet, just as surely as I knew I wasn't going to die, I knew that artificial, I now knew artificial contraception is a mortal sin and I will never prescribe it again. I will never, I mean, my husband and I had been using um, barrier methods and then, yeah, that's it. That's, I'm done, Lord. I'm done. And of course I did then attend the healing mass later in the week and make a good confession.
0: Okay. So that was your day for confession. How long after that was your surgery?
1: Um, so that was a Wednesday. So a couple of days later, so my surgery, my surgery was on a Friday and it, a very, fascinating two fascinating things happened um well prior to surgery I my one of my one of my best friends from residency a little bit older than me also a mom pediatrician um she um called me um she had gone through she called me to just to hear my full story and everything. And in the middle of, of our conversation, she said, wait, 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 Michelle's just stop. Wait. I don't understand how, how, where is your strength coming from? And she said, I mean, now she had gone through a tumor on her heart the year before. So she had been through a life similar life threatening situation. And she said, I mean, I know you, you know, as a mom, you, you're strong for your kids, but this is something else. This isn't, and I said, Angela, it's God, this is, this is God, Angela. I just, I believe I have the tumor. I believe it's a glioblastoma, but all I can say is I know I'm going to live. I think I'm going to suffer tremendously, but, um, and she was just, um, she, she couldn't shake it. Um, hmm. But there was one t- one point, maybe just two days before my brain surgery, I um, I passed through um, our our study in our home, and my husband had um, printed out the latest research uh, latest research papers on the treatment of glioblastoma multiforme, and the top paper was uh, put out by the Mayo Clinic, and I just read the abstract. And I got as far as, you know, a few lines in, it said, um, regardless of what was done, whether gamma gamma knife surgery, uh, chemo, radiation, it didn't matter what what was done. uh, These patients die within 18 months. And so I stopped reading. I couldn't bring myself to read the entire paper and I, uh, walked into our bedroom and I, I sat at the end of our bed and I just looked up. And um, from where I was sitting, there, there was an image of uh, the Christ, uh, divine mercy. Uh, and um, I, I just looked at that image and, and mentally I said, Lord, am I going to die? Because I was having, you know, I've always been dedicated, I've always had a deep faith in. Jesus Christ, and Catholicism, but I'm a scientist, a physician, and the two are conflicting, right? And so, in any case, I, I was, he wasn't supposed to answer me. I was not supposed to get an answer, but I did. Clear as day, as though he were standing right in front of me, I heard a very firm, calm, soothing male voice say, no, it's not your time. Pause. It's not about you. It's so that the glory of God may be manifest. So I heard this and it wasn't in my head. It was as if someone was standing right there. And I also felt love. It wasn't just the voice. I felt love in my heart at the same time. So I mentally said again, Lord, am I going to die? Because I couldn't believe it. The same voice, same in every aspect. No, it is not your time. Exact same pause. It's not about you. It's so that the glory of God may be manifest. I still had to ask one more time mentally. And I got the exact same answer and the same love, burning love in my heart. Um, And at this point, I just kind of sat back a little more and I thought to myself, well, I'm not going to ask again because, you know, he might get a little bit fed up with me and change his mind. And uh, (laughs) I don't want him to change his mind. But mentally, I did pray. I did say, Lord, I understand. I understand the first part and I really like it. I like that answer. But I don't understand the second part because I'm not asking you why me. For like the first time in my life, I'm not angry, resentful, uh, there's no self-pity here. I'm just, it's very unlike me, I'm just accepting it. As soon as that thought finished, my husband whipped into our bedroom very upset. Why is this happening to you? Why? You, you, you are a faithful Catholic. You pray all the time. You, you're always doing pro-life work. You know, you're, you're so good with your patience and, and, and the on, you know, on, 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 and I realized that was why Jesus said the last part to me. He wasn't answering my question. He was answering my husband's. So I looked at my husband and I said, well, I don't know why it happened to me, but I'll tell you what Jesus said. And I mean, to be perfectly truthful, you know, so my husband was just like, oh, okay, (laughs) well, uh, neither one of us really, I mean, what does that really mean? It's it, it's it's not about you. I mean, since then I, I've come to believe what Catholics and and really all Christians who know and understand their faith, are our, our lives are not about us. Our our lives are not about us. Our our lives are about coming to know, love, and serve God, so that we will be happy with Him forever in eternal life. Right. That's that's really what. It, so I understand. Oh, it's not about you because. Everything that happens to us—the active will of God and the passive will of God—everything that happens to us is about helping us along the way to come to know, love, and serve God, so we will be happy with Him forever in, in heaven. But the part—it's not about you. It's—it's it's so that the glory of God may be made manifest. And um, you know, over time, there there is a scripture passage similar to that there is a, a man who is blind and he is before Christ and um, the apostles are, or the disciples are asking Christ, why is this man blind? Is it because of his own sin or the sin of his parent uh, parents? And Christ says, no, no, this, this is so that the glory of God may be made manifest and he heals the blind man. So at the healing mass, um, the, of the mission, the priest processed with uh, Jesus and the monstrance and allowed us to touch the um, the cloth. Two women from the parish who I was acquainted with later told me that they were in they were praying for me. Um, they were in the church at the time, nowhere near me, but as they were praying, heads down, they suddenly each of them felt just a jolt. Jolted up. And when they opened their eyes at that moment, that's when I touched, they saw me touching uh, our Lord's what would be his cloak, the, the equivalent. Um the following day, which was a Thursday, my mother-in-law asked uh one of her good friends, the husband of, of one of her good friends, if he would pray for me at a um a shrine to our lady of lords in in connecticut because they they lived close they lived close by and she asked him if he would do that uh for me there had been a horrible uh quite a, a large snowstorm um we said that's fine he he drove to the um to the shrine and he he drove as far as he could to the outdoor grotto and he got out and he trudged through the snow that was a bit over his knees. And, and, um, he later recounted the story to my mother-in-law. He was about to kneel in the snow when suddenly he heard what he said to my mother-in-law, the voice of angels. I, I, I just, I heard an angel, an angel told me, she said, it's okay. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Go back and tell them it's going to be okay. Now, now this man was a chemical engineer and he was Catholic, but, um, he, he eventually spoke to me and said, you got to believe me. Things like this don't happen to me. <laughs> things, th- things like this don't happen to me. Um, that, I mean, he was rattled. Um, but, um, and then the the surgery was friday and um we we got to the, uh, got into the hospital and um i forget why i was supposed to be first thing in the morning and for some reason there was there was a delay um so i i, I asked i said to my husband well you know wheel me down to the hospital chapel for <laughs> you know, time to pray no problem um and uh eventually they got me in. And I, I remember, um, you know, they allowed my husband to be with me to be prepped for anesthesia. And, uh, the anesthesiologist was just looking at me and saying, um, you know, it's okay if you're afraid. I said, Oh, I'm, I'm not worried. I'm, I so well, you'd be very normal if you were worried. <laughs> and I just laughed and I said, well, look, I may be a lot of things, but I'm not normal. Just ask my <laughs> husband. I, I I just had full confidence. I said, no, I, I, you know, I, I know what this is, but all I can tell you is I'm, I, I will be okay. And, um, so the, the other interesting thing is that the, the chief resident who was assisting my neurosurgeon went to med school with me. We had been in the, in the same class and I, I, it would have been years since we had seen each other, but nevertheless, um, the surgery got started, and the first thing they did was um, to take a, a sample of the tumor and send it down to pathology. So they knew exactly, they would know for certain exactly what they were dealing with. And what happened next shocked everyone. The tumor came back. Now I was 32 years old, and it was a classic presentation for an adult glioblastoma. The tumor came back from pathology as a pediatric brain tumor a juvenile pilocytic astrocytoma which is curable by surgery alone
0: wow and 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 so, pediatric so my, means yeah. for children's no
1: right so normally so we later looked up like the oldest case in the literature uh, you know typically so juvenile pilocytic astrocytomas typically present in children they are located in the back of the brain They are extremely slow, slow growing. They typically do not give you these thunderclap headaches in the middle of the night. They do not bleed. Yet my brain tumor, the pathologist was able to confirm, bled twice. Um, So it was um, very, apparently cheers went up in the entire OR. (laughs) And then uh, they forgot to notify my. So my parents and husband are waiting in the waiting room. They, um, because they now knew they were dealing with a benign tumor, they took an extra two hours in the surgery to make sure they really got it all. So my poor my family's in there thinking, "Oh my gosh, she must be dying." <laughs> but in any case, um, uh, and and just rather amusing. Um, so I will I. I remember waking up, coming out of anesthesia and the nurse saying, um, you're going okay. um, to be okay. It was, um, you're going to, you're going to be okay. It was a juvenile pilocytic astrocytoma, And, you know, he kind of doze off again. And then I woke up again in the neuro ICU and, uh, and the, the resident, the neurosurgical resident confirmed the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Totally cured by, by surgery. And, um, and he said, so what do you want for pain meds? <laughs> I said, wait a minute. I'm really the patient, remember? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, well, you know, but um I said, just just write the orders like you normally would. And um and and later I had a six month old whom I was breastfeeding. So I I I was the first patient that the neuro ICU had ever seen come in with her own breast pump and relatively soon after surgery I was actually able to um pump my breast so the 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 neurosurgical nurses were they didn't know what to do with me they just oh you're doing this already do you do you need any pain mounts is 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 there any way I could help you I said oh I don't know I said maybe Uh, An extra strength Tylenol or two wouldn't hurt. (laughs) I don't remember. It was less than a full day in the neuro ICU. I know it was less than a full day. And she just walked to the doorway and then she came back and she said, I don't think you need to be here. I I think we can get you out to the medical floor sooner than normal.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) But um, Amazing.
1: so so, uh
0: amazing so you had
1: three three days yeah three three days post-op I was discharged home to my to my parents house so that way for three weeks post-op so that way my my in-laws and my husband took care of our kids and I could really fully recover so I I I did have a, a, a more normal recovery then there was there was definitely pain and narcotics (laughs) narcotics <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. um but uh, amazing yeah it it is um it's so good to hear miracle stories because it, the, especially faced with who we are today um with the amount of almost um it really does seem demonic uh, um there has to be a god still and and just hearing about the glory of his power that he can assert and um and how much he loves you. Uh, and, and therefore all of us as well is I think really, really encouraging. Um, and y- you were still at this point though, where, uh, you were, you've now received a miracle, <laughs> multiple miracles, but one of those miracles also right. was your, your being informed or illuminated, as you said, about the truth about, uh, about contraception. Where, where did you go from right. there?
1: Right. So I'm, I'm, I'm at my parents' house, right? And and uh, getting closer to that. Oh, I, I'm going to go home. And then it hit me. Wait a minute. I'm going to live to have sex with my husband again. God, did you give my husband a conversion too? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. boy. So, um, yeah, that was an interesting conversation to have with my husband. But here is what was interesting when I got Back home, just I mean, my husband was having nothing of it. He's like, What are you talking? What? No way! No way! We are not going to, no, we, we really have to learn to about natural family planning because you don't understand, hun, just the thought of any contraception. And this was, I, I. I don't think it. It wasn't until I realized, oh my gosh, yeah, I had the conversion, but Lord, I don't know if I'm going to be strong enough to to help my husband see the light. Like. Just the thought of whether it was condoms, diaphragm, anything, I felt like I was going to throw up. Even the thought of prescribing, like there was, and I see it as a grace. It was this it, internal it was my moral conscience. It just physically made me ill because I knew it offended God. And, um, and my husband wasn't willing to make make me physically ill. And so that's when he relented and said, fine. Okay. You know, ask father Ray who's teaching it It's you know, and, and we'll sign up. And, um, he sort of, Begrudgingly, but so, so the first step was walking the walk in our own marriage and, um, uh, because I needed to, um, I needed to have prophylaxis to, and sort of prove that I would not develop seizures afterwards. There was a six month period of time when I could not drive or work, Um, you know, and i I passed <laughs> I passed I didn't i I, I eventually uh, ruled out for you know I didn't have any seizures and I was able to come off the uh, seizure med and and return to driving and to, and to work um And so now fortunately um my employer at that time uh understood that this was a moral conscience issue for me and I said i am um, I will still, I I wasn't willing to prescribe uh, contraception to teens uh, at all, even before I tried not to, but it wasn't 100%. But um, so, and I always had a conversation with, um, from that point forward, with any uh, patients and and moms together um, that, you know what, this is, for me, this is about, the healthiest option for you you know fertility is not a disease and um eventually i was moved to look to the science behind hormone based contraception and it, and it's it's actually um very dangerous um, you know the world health organization recognizes estrogen as a cancer causing agent equivalent to cigarette smoking so in any case so through um, education and accommodation, um, that, uh, work went okay, but it's, it's definitely more difficult now. There's, um, much less willingness to, um, to accommodate religious convictions, um, on the other hand, the science is getting stronger, hmm. um, and we can talk about that another time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, mm.
0: well, what brought you to because I mean, my first exposure to Dr. Michelle Cortella was actually through uh, a video where you were explaining about uh, transgenderism, and it was um probably I have to say it was the most effective video on uh, the whole trans issue that I had ever seen. And I look at a lot of these things um, and I thought, wow, a doctor willing to say it like it is. How, <laughs> how did you go from <laughs> like, all right, we'll practice it on our own, but <laughs> I want to be um, just sort of quiet about this and in the background to probably one of the most foremost spokesmen <laughs> in the world.
1: Right, right. Well, um, I, uh, through a series of God incidents ended up going on a silent retreat at a shrine to St. Therese, um, here in Rhode Island. Um, and during that retreat, I reaffirmed, I told, I told God, um, you know, tell God your plans and he laughs. Well, boy, did he get me good this day. I again reaffirmed, I am going to be your soldier, your pro-life soldier, Lord, that is it, but, um, and I'll write in the newspapers because I'm a good writer, but you know what, no radio, no TV, Um, oh, and oh my goodness, this embryonic stem cell stuff, stuff that's coming, I'm not smart enough to understand any of that, and, and, oh, LGB, at that point in 2001, T wasn't really even in the picture yet, is it LGB? I said, you know what, Lord, I understand. I believe intuitively what the church teaches, but I just don't have time to look at the science. And yeah, I don't want to touch that with a 10 foot pole. And this is what I, that was my prayer, the entire, you know, day long retreat. I kid you not. I walk back into my house. My parents were babysitting our, our two sons at the time. The moment I walk into my house and this is my, my electrical engineer, Italian dad. He doesn't say hi. He says, hey, some woman, Alberta De Luccio called? She says you are her woman that you need to come onto her show and do two radio programs and a television spot about embryonic stem cell research. <laughs> now, I just... Literally, literally walking in the door. That's what I'm greeted with. And, um, I had never heard of this woman before in my life. It was, um, uh, a, a Catholic, um, Catholic, uh, radio and television, uh, program. She was the producer. I call her number suffice it to say there was no saying no to this woman. I mean, I, I offered her three other doctor names. Oh, no, 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 no. Well, for the first two won't do because they're men. I, I want a younger woman physician on, you know, and no. So those first, two, I said, well, my friend, Sheila. Oh, no, 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 no. She's, she's our expert on, a, on healing, a, you know, post-abortion healing. We want a fresh new face. And I said, well, ma'am, I'm really, you know, very, very busy. I'm a, I'm a, a young mother and I'm, doctor, this issue isn't going away. You tell me when you're going to be ready. I said, well, how about, how about two months? Fine, done. So, so God will get his way. But, but God, God was, he was a little more gentle with me on the LGB. That was still 2001. And, and so in 2004, um, you know, I, I had still, uh, you know, kept my resolution. I'm not looking at the science of this other issue. It doesn't concern me. We just got to be nice to everybody. And, uh, in 2004, I walked into, um, with my husband, a, a parish, uh, prayer meeting, just an adult prayer meeting that we sometimes made. And, um, as soon as I walked in our, our pastor who led the meeting, um, stood up, he had the local paper in his hand and he said, Hey, I know there's a doctor right here. Who's going to be wanting to write a letter to the editor after she reads today's edition. Apparently there was uh, a letter to the editor criticizing, um, our pastor who was, a, is still a very good friend of mine. Um, he taught the truth about homosexuality and, um, there was a rather lengthy, lengthy letter accusing him of being anti-science and a bigot and this, that, and the other thing. And I just interiorly looked up at God and said, you win again, because that is the only person, you know, that, that, that is the only scenario that would push me to actually, okay, fine. I'll actually pull studies. I'll look at the science and, And then lo and behold, I was stunned. I was absolutely astounded by the fact that twin studies way back when I had started out in med school, even then the twin studies proved that genetics does not determine sexual attraction way back then. Even those poorly designed twin studies. I mean, now what we have we have a whole a full genome wide scan that came out in 2019 and proves not only is there no such thing as an LGB uh, gene or set of genes, but genetically speaking, those with opposite sex attractions and same sex attractions are genetically indistinguishable. So, um, so that was the beginning of uh, and and. Through several God incidents, uh, I ended up being um, elected onto the board of directors for the National Association of Research and Therapy for Homosexuality um, in, uh, I guess, 2005 to 2010, and uh, that led to me uh, forging relationships with psychologists psychiatrists and, uh, counselors who help people leave the, um, well, help people identify the underlying traumas that trigger the same sex attractions. And and once you heal those traumas, you're set free. And, and most certainly faith alone can, can set us free, but I, and and I would venture to say the vast majority of those who, um, NARTH has now, um, they eventually expanded. They're now called the Alliance for Therapeutic Choice. Um, we really promote the combination um, of faith and um, counseling, you know, self-exploration with the, the two together, I believe give people the strongest likelihood of healing and and that's what this is about we we all psychological illness emotional illness physical illness these are all a part of the human condition none of us is exempt from it you know and um in some people particular traumas will trigger same-sex attraction in other people depending on their temperament those same traumas may not trigger same sex attraction might trigger just straight up severe depression, anxiety. Um, yeah.
0: I'm but I'm definitely going to have you back on to talk specifically <laughs> about all of those things. What's amazing to me about your story is how the Lord sort of worked in your life very evidently, much more so than, than, than most, but, um, you, Grew That's because I'm
1: him. dense and I'm stubborn. See, I'm I'm very I'm very stubborn. He really had to pick up two by fours and whack me <laughs> over the head.
0: <laughs> it's it's an amazing thing. It's it it's amazing. Like it's a progression in his love and and faith in him and and trust in him. Um, and um, he's really, I mean just watching what you've said publicly was stunning, but to hear the the lead up uh, is, is truly incredible. I, I think it's um, it really speaks to openness to God working in your life and sort of you giving him permission, maybe begrudgingly so, but, but permission oh, nonetheless. I
1: mean, that's, that's why when people, people, you know, she's a Christian fundamentalist or, you know, she's just a Catholic, would, I'm like, no, really, I, I just... My prayer life with God, I'm I'm very much traditionalist now in, in my views, but I mean, from the time I was a child, I mean, I I have conversations with God, like, or I have that would not be considered very respectful. (laughs) I mean, like, you know what, Lord, you know, what's in my mind and my heart. Why should I hold back? I would just, (laughs) but God takes what we give him. and He works with it.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. So. Yeah. Wow. Any, any parting thoughts as, uh, as we close off this session?
1: Parting thoughts, you know, faith and faith and reason go together. Um, I, I think that we Catholics, all Christians, but especially Catholics, Need to um, and especially those of us in medicine or other scientific fields, need to proclaim to the world that science, modern science, depends upon and came into being because of the Christian worldview, because of Christianity. It is only with a with a culture that embraces. The fact of an intelligent, loving, and personal God, right? A God of order. Only in that worldview can you actually come up with the idea of the scientific method. If the you need to believe that the world is intelligible, that the world is ordered in before you can believe that I can conduct experiments to find the truth. Um, Tom Woods is, uh, has, I think he, he is the author of um, how the Catholic church built Western civilization. And in the first couple chapters or first several does an excellent job and uh, pointing out why modern science blossomed when it did why it was born when it did. And then it's, it intricately connected to Catholicism, the Catholic church and, um, I think that is a you know, and, and this this understanding that, that we can learn, we can understand and come to believe, but sometimes you must first believe in order to understand, and and that's what I have learned in my life. You know, um, before modern science, before modern science could be born, there needed to be the belief that. We exist in an ordered and intelligible world. Belief can lead to understanding.
0: Amen. Amen. Dr. Michelle gretella thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. May God bless thank you.
1: Thank you for having
0: me. <laughs> and God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. I just needed to let you know that the Canadian National March for Life is coming up. Please check this out. Join Pro-Life speakers Tony McFadden, Joseph Backholm, Jay Watts, and Will Witt for I Am With You, the National March for Life Youth Conference,
1: hosted by Campaign Life Coalition Youth and Niagara Region Right to Life, May 14th from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. at marchforlife.ca. And thanks to our donors, the cost is free. So register at the link below and we'll see you on May 14th.
0: Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Lifesight News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we are communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to LifesightNews.com because there we will always be but we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform. And we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are An excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSight News. <laughs>